Good morning. It's uh, good to be standing in front of you again to share God's word this morning. And before we start, would you join me in a word of prayer? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. And I just pray that you open the hearts and minds to receive your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is the third of a series of four uh, in the sermons that I have been preaching on from temptation to triumph. And this morning we want to look at tempted not to forgive. Tempted not to forgive. If I asked you a question, a rhetorical question, rather, I don't want your answers. Is there any family or extended family here that can honestly say that you have never had a situation in your family or extended family or a close friend that you were in conflict with? That you are at a point or you were at a point that you simply cannot be together. That you simply cannot forgive. You simply cannot be where that other person is without asking for responses. I think it is fair to say that each one of us have struggled and maybe still struggle today in our lives, be it in our marital relationships, be it in our family, other type of relationships, or church relationships. I know for sure in church relationships, otherwise we would have 1,500 denominations out there in the world today. Forget about all the other denominations, just in the Baptist conference, there's different churches that think differently, and within the Mennonite churches that I come from, there's 24 different denominations. Supposedly, we all believe in this same word. One of the challenges that I find myself uh, increasingly, the more I read the scriptures and the more I try to understand the scriptures, the more in a pickle that it puts me in terms of my faith walk. Do you find that? Because the more you know, the more is expected of you to be a disciple of Jesus Christ because the world is watching us always. Have you ever noticed that when some kind of a conflict or problem happens within the church or a church leader, that that becomes a rather interesting story in our media today? But it's almost like when it happens in other situations, it is somewhat even expected that that would happen. So I think it, this particular sermon this morning challenges us. Rabbi David Nelson likes to tell the story of two brothers who went to the rabbi to settle a long-standing feud. Fortunately, the rabbi got the two to reconcile their differences and shake hands. And as they were about to leave, he asked each one to make a wish for the other in honor of the Jewish New Year. 
to the other and said, I wish you what you wish me. I wish you what you wish me. Have you ever wished something like that on someone? How can we forgive others? This is one of the most challenging things that we as Christians face on a daily basis. Do we not? Be it in marriage, be it in sibling rivalry, be it in parents and children, be it best friends, that something happened between you and that you don't even see each other again, or in the churches. And the challenge here is, how many times? How many times are we supposed to forgive? I struggle with this business of forgiveness and reconciliation. Yet once more this week, as I try to put some thoughts together, if some of them connect with you, may you try to increase. God created us to really uh, to live in relational harmony with Him first and with each other, both vertically and horizontally. Sin obviously breaches our relationships, causing separation, alienation, and estrangement. So then we erect <coughs> barriers between us. Oneness is lost. And as I just finished saying, church is no exception. What then does the gospel call us to do? First, Receive forgiveness, obviously. We just finished the Lord's table. That's what it's all about. First, receive forgiveness from God through Christ, and then forgive others. This is God's plan, according to Colossians 1, uh, 13 and 14, and chapter 3, verse 13. We're not going to read all those uh, references this morning, but we will refer to some of them. Forgiveness removes the barriers between persons caused by wrongdoing, real or imagined. Have you ever had a situation where you thought somebody said something about you and you were so hurt and you were so pained by it, only to find out years later that that person never ever said that? And you had broken the relationship all for nothing. All of us know this, and yet we can't seem to apply it in our lives. Not consistently, at least. So how do we forgive the unforgivable? In order to get, to, get some handles to this very difficult question, we need to look to Jesus, obviously. He is the author of our life, he is the creator of each one of us, and he is the only one that we read of in history or in the scriptures that has lived a perfect life without sin. Yet, he chose to forgive our sin. What happened to Jesus on the cross was unforgivable. I mean, in our society, 
those that are incarcerated, generally we tend to rationalize by saying that... Well, they did the crime, so they have to do the time. How many times have we heard that? It makes sense that if people continue to commit crimes in a society with law and order and nobody is doing anything about it, we will have absolute chaos and anarchy. It doesn't work. We may not like some of the ways that the law and order establishment uses to bring about order, and we do complain sometimes, but the fact remains that if there is no law and order, then we are the first ones to complain as well. It's all within us. When was the last time you purchased a house and you talked to the real estate agent and said, find me a house in the most crime-ridden neighborhood? Anybody do that? You know, I don't have as much money, but, you know, I want to live in the most crime-ridden neighborhood because I want to bring about the change as a Christian. Have you done that? I haven't. Confession time. I chose a safe neighborhood or safer neighborhood. That's what we like to choose. So I think it is understanding that when we think of crime and doing the time, we understand that. But Jesus was a sinless, perfect, innocent human being, being God himself, chose to pay the price for your sin, for my sin, and for the sins of humanity. So here we have an amazing, amazing line from the text that was read for us, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Did they not know what they were doing? See, crucifixion was not something new when Jesus was crucified. Historical records will show that during the time of Jesus and even before the time of Jesus... People were crucified. It was a kind of a, a methodology that the Romans had used. And it is said that on the road to Rome, sometimes there were hundreds of people that were crucified along the roadside, especially traitors or treasonous people. So when Jesus was crucified, it was not an absolutely new idea. And yet, he was crucified along with two known insurrectionists. So, the first question that I have this morning is, basically, is it possible to forgive the unforgivable? Who was Jesus talking about when he said, for they know not what they are doing? Who is the they in that phrase? It's easy for us to read that and say, well, he must be talking about the Roman soldiers. 
Maybe he's talking about Pontius Pilate or the Roman governor. Did Pilate knew what he was doing? What about the high priest, Caiaphas? And what about Judas? He had an important role in the ministry and life of Jesus. He was, in fact, the treasurer of the 12, of the ministry. He knew what money was coming and what was going out. And when the disciples had gone to the market to buy food and so on, they had to come to Judas to ask for money. So he knew for almost three and a half years. Didn't Judas know what he was doing? The answer in each case is the same. Each person involved knew a little bit of the story, but none of them really had the big picture. So to make it clear, we can certainly say that the Jewish leaders thought that they knew Jesus, but they didn't. They questioned his claims, his miracles, his theology, and basically rejected that Jesus was the Messiah, the anointed king that they were waiting for. Does that mean that these men and their followers are not guilty? Not at all. Each person involved in the death of Jesus is morally culpable. There's plenty of guilt to go around, but still we can't escape those haunting words from the cross. Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. Underline the word what in this. Because it is the key to the first saying of Christ from the cross. The key is not the fact that they do not know. The key is what is it that they do not know? See, for many soldiers that were involved in this crucifixion as well, it was just a routine part of the job that they were doing. Sure, this rabbi Jesus may have been somewhat special. Maybe the Roman emperors, the leaders were particularly careful in how it was done. But the fact remains that crucifixions were commonplace. So what was it that they did not know? They do not know what they are doing. They know what they are doing, but they don't know who the man on the cross really is. So when Jesus cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, he was really saying, Father, forgive them, because they are in desperate need of forgiveness, and they don't even know it. The same is true with the people who hurt us. They need forgiveness more than they know. It may be true that they knew what they were doing when they said those hurtful things about us, whether true or false. I suspect that sometimes we are more hurt and more angry when what people say about us is actually true of us. What if the person that hurt you is not even aware of it and it is you that is all tied up in knots? 
The people who have hurt us need our forgiveness. That's what the Bible is saying, not me. If it was just up to me, I kind of like the way Apostle Paul puts it. To the extent that is possible with you, live at peace with others. You see, he is my type of a guy. He, he kind of, he got it. He got humanity in the sense that we cannot be at peace with everybody because God has created us with different personalities, different characteristics, and different reactions to what happens in life. So we tend to congregate with people that we kind of mutually like each other. Is that fair? And it's also equally fair that we tend to stay away from those people that we do not see eye to eye. At Christmas time recently in, the, in our neighbors to the south, there was a survey done because apparently there's so much toxic thinking out there that this survey went out and surveyed people if they were going to invite their either Republican or Democrat family members or friends to Christmas celebrations. Can you believe this? It's about family and close friends. And 90% of the people said no. They will not do that. And this is not necessarily asking only people in the church. But this is about talking about being with people that we do not see eye to eye. I think, as I said earlier, it is fair to say that each one of us have experienced such things in our lives, be it in our families, be it in our churches, or be it in our friendships. And they will probably, because we do not offer that forgiveness, it is more likely that sometimes these estranged families and relationships will end up even in death without having the opportunity to reconcile with each other. This is where the words of Jesus become very, very personal. We are included in this prayer. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Hindsight being 2020, 2,000 plus years later, as we are trying to understand what it was that Jesus was doing, why he came into this world, and to offer forgiveness for our sin, do we truly understand his words today? Sometimes. Because at this point, we discover hard reality that keeps us from forgiving the people who hurt us. We think we would never hurt anybody the way they have hurt us. We always do this comparative analysis. I'm just not as bad as that. I'd never treat anybody the way they treated me. We become indignant, rather self-righteous. And we think, how dare, how dare they say things like that to me after all I have done for them. 
Or we may be under the delusion like Narvaez, the Spanish patriot. As he lay dying, his priest's confessor asked him whether he had forgiven all his enemies. The story goes that Narvaez looked astonished and said, Father, I have no enemies. I have killed them all. No, maybe we don't kill them all, but we kill the relationships. We end the relationships because we do not want to put ourselves in that uncomfortable situation where we have to reconcile. We know it is true. Because if we do understand the words of Jesus from the cross, we do understand, I submit, that we do not have an option not to forgive. Often we think we have dealt with our unforgiveness by ending our relationships, our friendships, and even our fellowship. If I don't ever see that person again, that will be too soon. I actually have heard people say that in my church office when I was pastoring. I've had people that said, if so-and-so person is working on that particular committee, count me out. Maybe I'll go and worship in a different church. But I will take my baggage with me. Because until and unless we reconcile, until and unless we forgive, I dare say that we will carry that bag and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger until we actually deal with it. The whole theology of Christianity centers around forgiveness and reconciliation. God's forgiveness. That's what we just celebrated. God's forgiveness for our sin, for the sins of humanity. Jesus came into this world to forgive sinners. How have we forgiven anyone when there's no reconciliation or fellowship and breaking of the bread? And this is precisely what I believe Jesus meant when he responded to Peter's question. A second thought, how many times must I forgive? I have no idea why Peter got himself into this pickle here. Like, he's known as this impulsive fellow. He would always jump in. He'd, he'd ask the first question, or he'd open his mouth first and say things. Are you like that, any of you? Like you think you have to get your word in first? I mean, in many ways, I can identify with Peter here. He asks actually a very reasonable question. Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister when they sin against me? Up to seven times? I don't know where he came up with the seven times. I have some idea. Because according to the Torah, the Jewish theology would say up to three times, especially if the person that has committed a sin against you comes and asks for forgiveness. But fourth time, you're on your own. You don't have to forgive. 
You don't have to ask for forgiveness either if you go and ask somebody to forgive you three times and they say no, you don't have to go and ask for forgiveness the fourth time because that sin is on that person. Interesting theology. Would you say? They take that from Job and also Amos. But I suspect that Peter heard Jesus talking about this Situation in if you read Luke chapter 17, verses 3 and 4, here's Jesus' words. If your brother or sister, so watch yourself, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. Come on. Really? Do we rebuke anybody these days? Many churches don't even use the word sin, forget about rebuking. You rebuke me, there's another church that doesn't rebuke me. I'm going there. If that church rebukes me, there's another church in that corner. I'll go there. Honestly, that is what is happening even in Christendom today. Rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. Notice very carefully, listen very carefully. Rebuke them, and if they repent, forgive them. Chances are more likely in the climate that we're living, if we rebuke somebody, the chances are they're going to rebuke right back at us. Don't be so self-righteous. It is you that caused the problem. What are you talking to me about? Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times comes back to you saying, I repent you must forgive them. I had a hard time as I read that. Why do I want to put myself in seven times with that person? In the same day. I'm out of there after the first time. That's me. That's my personality. Depends, of course, how serious the hurt is, how serious the pain is. If it is something minor, I'll kind of go, well, you know what? He didn't mean that. She didn't mean that. But seven times in a day, the person sins against you, comes back. Well, this is the interesting part. Comes back to ask for forgiveness and repents because you rebuke them. You must forgive them. The, <laughs> the way Jesus uh, responds is, very interesting. He gives a parable of the unmerciful servant. Essentially, while we are not going to focus on the parable, it relates to the exaggerated story that Jesus tells in that. 10,000 talents in today's day and age, historians and mathematicians have concluded would amount to $4.5 billion. I mean, just try to imagine a servant of the king or a slave of a king owing the king $4.5 billion. It's not possible, right? But this is precisely what Jesus is saying. It is actually relating to our sin against each other and especially against God. Essentially, Jesus is saying, if you had committed so many sins against God and God has chosen because you asked for forgiveness and you repented of your sins and you would go out and somebody that owes you 100 denarii asks for forgiveness and you throw him in the debtor's prison, 
You do not deserve such forgiveness, so off you go to jail. That's what Jesus is saying. So here is interesting. Um, again, I am reminded of Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as far as, as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. As far as it depends on you. It's kind of a loophole in the law. From a human sinful perspective. Now, one of the messages that comes out of the Bible consistently is that if we want to become more like Jesus, then we ought to behave more like Jesus by forgiving the people who hurt us. I do not for a moment, I do not for a moment mean to suggest that this is easy. It's not easy, it's very hard. To forgive us, yet it costs Jesus his life. To forgive others, it will also cost us something as well. We will certainly have to give up our anger. That's one. Our pride. Turn away from our bitterness and decide by a conscious choice that we will forgive those who have sinned against us. What is that line we pray in the Lord's table? Father, forgive us. Forgive us our... What? As? You don't seem too convinced. (laughs) Forgive us our trespasses or sins as we forgive... Those that sin or trespass against us. Yes? It's a conditional forgiveness that is clearly given to us in that Lord's Prayer that some of us have probably prayed tens of thousands of times. Is it a habit? Do we really know what we are praying in that? So Jesus really gives it to Peter. I wish he had simply asked, Lord, how many times must I forgive someone that commits a sin against me and stop there instead of saying up to seven times? He thought he was being a good student of what Jesus was teaching along the way and he remembered that seven times story that he talked about. Up to seven times. And very often we will have to perform that act of forgiveness over and over and over again until we learn the grace and discipline of continual forgiveness. Is it possible that Jesus knew how much our sinful nature struggles with this discipline of forgiving, therefore the response 70 times 7, or in some one or two uh, translations it said uh, 77 times, but the actual translation is 70 times 7, that is what, 490 times. So you have a journal that you're keeping a track of? What Jesus is saying is, if you are stopping every time you forgave your brother or sister and then quickly run home and then take out your ledger and say, uh, April the 3rd, 
2022, I forgave my brother Jake for this hurt that he had caused me. Okay, one, two, three, four. Oh, that's 114th time I have forgiven him. Does it work like that? In Colossians 3.13, it says, Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. How did the Lord forgive us when we repented of our sin and asked for forgiveness? Unconditionally. And let me ask this question quietly. After you have received, after we have received that initial forgiveness the first time and received water baptism and become a follower of Jesus, have we caused him hurt again? Have you? I have. Have you? Did he forgive you again? Or have you asked him to forgive you again? See, many people attach this connection from Luke chapter 17 that how can I forgive somebody if they had not come and repented of what they had done? I can't. But I want to suggest to you this morning that our forgiveness is not conditional in that way because our forgiveness has to be carte blanche. You forgive, end of story. It's not because they have come and asked for forgiveness. It's great if they do. But Jesus is saying that even if somebody doesn't, in order for your own conscience with God and humanity to keep it clear and clean, you just simply forgive. Ah, this is hard. The hard lesson behind some of our struggles with this issue of forgiveness. Think about it. When do we really get angry and hold on to feelings of unforgiveness? Is it when someone on the street calls you a nasty name for no particular reason? It happened to me uh, a couple of times when people for no particular reason as they drove by just called out some racial epithets. I just smiled and walked on, never lost a wink of sleep about it. However, when someone that I care about or a family member or a good friend says things that are hurtful, it's a different matter. Yes? It hits you in the heart. Because it's not what you expect from a loving and unified family. It hits us hard. Fellowship is broken. Relationships are strained. And we know that something is not right. We know it. Nobody has to explain it to us. We know it. No wonder Jesus responds to Peter the way he does 70 times 7. Now while some theologians have tried to assign significance to the number 490, I have a rather simplistic understanding and theology about it. In other words, if we are starting to count the number of times we are forgiving someone, then we don't get it. That's it. We simply don't get it. 
Because we want to keep on asking the same question or keep on holding on to the grudges that we have. However, I believe that the bottom line of Jesus' response is forgiveness is terribly important. Simply forgive. Don't count how many times. One of the things that I have been working very hard to learn for a long time in my life is not to hold grudges. Sometimes I even succeed. I've decided that life is too short to hold grudges and I will do my best to just forgive people who hurt me. Ah, I found another loophole. To forgive people, maybe reconcile in your own heart but not have fellowship. Is that true forgiveness? I don't know. I wrestle with that. This doesn't mean that the relationship continues as before. I was going to do an experiment this morning, but my wife said, don't make a mess on the stage. I was going to break an expensive crystal vase, vase, for those of you that say vase, and then quickly put some crazy glue and put it back together. Now, I will put it back in the place where I brought it from, and anybody that came into the house would never know that that vase was was broken at one time. But each time I would handle it, I know exactly, even if I don't see it, and I fixed it so beautifully, so professionally, that I would never see where it broke. I know that there was a break in there. Would I not? And you would remind me of that break. <laughs> I'm learning that not all personalities and relationships are compatible, even among Christians. It's okay. One cannot be best friends with everybody. That's okay, too. We connect with some people better than other people. Yet two firm injunctions from the Bible leave me with no wiggle room. That's what makes me uncomfortable. The warning Jesus gives us in Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. There is no need for any explanation or theology or exegesis in those verses. It's rather simple. Rather simple. And then, of course, the Lord's Supper, as we just talked about. Forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So I have an ulterior motive. I want to be forgiven by God. That's it. I don't... Sometimes I look at it. I don't care if other people are somewhat angry at me. But I don't want God to be angry at me. So therefore, I choose to forgive even if that relationship is not reconnected to the level that it was before. Are you somewhat like that? Or am I kind of confessing a little too much here? And then, of course, 1 John 1, 8 to 9, where 
if we are tempted to become somewhat self-righteous, here's what John says. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. However, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Surrendering our hurts to Jesus means that we have left them behind. Sometimes I wonder if we truly understand what it means to be totally forgiven of our own sins. I have been by the bedside of people who are close to meeting their maker, struggling and wondering if God has forgiven their sin. So we carry some of the sin on our shoulders all of our lives. And some people live their entire lives under a terrible burden of a past that is full of hurts. At some point, at some point, we need to let go. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Here's a simple exercise that may help after lunch this, this afternoon. Take a sheet of paper and write the words of Jesus at the top. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Please help me forgive others like you forgave all of my sins on the cross. This isn't some magical exercise that can suddenly take away your hurts and pain, but it is a practical way of coming to grips with the first words from the cross of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. All of us know that it is easier to talk about forgiveness than it is to actually do it or offer it. And if we are honest, we all know how much we suffer when we forget to do what Jesus did on the cross. And so we need courage, especially during this season of Lent as we are reflecting on the amazing sacrifice that nobody in the history of the world was able to provide through the precious blood that was shed on the cross at Calvary. The forgiveness that was offered for my sin, for your sin, for the sins of all humanity. However hard, forgiveness may be and can be, and it is. It is infinitely better than refusing to forgive and living with the hurts and pains for the remainder of, their li- of our lives, of my life. May God help us to become better forgivers each day because we have Jesus in our lives, in our hearts. As uh, we respond to the word this morning, I would ask you to stand if you're able as we sing the words of this song, Jesus Paid It All. And as we remember that he has forgiven us, he will grant us the grace as well to forgive others, to forgive each other.
I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Lord, now indeed I find Thy power and Thine alone can change the leper spots and melt the heart of stone. Jesus paid it all, all to Him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, He washed it white as snow. For nothing good have I whereby thy grace to claim. I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's Lamb. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. And when before the throne I stand in him complete, Jesus died my soul to save, my lips shall still repeat. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. Receive the Lord's blessing as you leave from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 16. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with all of you. Amen.